This episode of Down to Business is brought to you by Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare, guiding our local communities to better health for over 50 years. Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Feingold, editor of New Hampshire Business Review, with our Down to Business podcast for July 15th, 2020. Time really flies when you're having fun. Uh, anyway, um, today we have uh, our usual cast of characters, Lisa Ryla, our associate editor, and Bob Sanders, staff writer, talking about a couple of things that are really kind of interesting involving just what's going on in terms of the business and business community and the economy of New Hampshire. But first, we're going to start one. It's going to be a little, kind of like a, I'm not saying this as a uh, insult, Lisa, but like a worm's eye view of the housing market in New Hampshire on the ground. Because we, you know, we've been reading and writing about how the market in New Hampshire is just—it's crazy. It's as uh, we had a story in the most recent issue on how it was convoluted. And uh, Lisa, you could tell us a little bit about your experience. You're trying to find a house, and you've been caught in that convolution. Is that the, if that's a real word? I am. I, I am living the story because, as we know, even over the last few years in New Hampshire, especially since the Great Recession, uh, housing inventory is low. And since the coronavirus, um, I mean, it's really had an impact because I think some people are hesitant to sell because then if you sell your house, where where are you going to go from there? Um, because there isn't much inventory in New Hampshire. So my experience is I've been looking for a house somewhere between Manchester and Jaffrey, maybe even edging more towards the Jaffrey area. I thought that would help me in finding a home. And um, I've put a couple offers on houses actually in the Peterborough area and gotten beaten out by cash offers. So, um, and I mean, one of the houses I put an offer on, we put 20, 20 grand over, um, trying to really get an edge out on them and um, nope, beat out by cash offer. So it's, it's just interesting because uh, what I'm hearing is there's a big demand from especially Massachusetts families to move over the border into New Hampshire because they want, you know, the access of New Hampshire parks and forests and um, all the beauty that New Hampshire has to offer. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because, uh, you know, we're talking about a market in the, I don't know what the median price is in the Peterborough in, in that area, but I assume it's pretty high up there. And was this house in that area of the median price or was it a little lower? I mean, cause you guys are just getting started out. Is that, a, you looking for a starter home? Is that what you were doing? We were looking at a starter home. So around like 250,000, that is below the median price. Um, I don't know specifically for Peterborough, but it can edge up quite a bit for the state. Yeah. As we noted, our freelancer, Michael Kitch wrote about this, that the, well, even of June of 2019, the median price for the state was $300,000 and that yeah. edged up to 319,000 just last month. So, um, uh, you know, prices are increasing because the inventory is low and the demand is so high. Yeah, it's it's really kind of, it's really crazy. Actually, you know, uh, my, my wife and I, we just, we have our house on the contract. I don't want to jinx myself. But in New London, we had it on the market a couple of years ago and it didn't sell a lot of people looked at it but it didn't sell and this time our house sold within like 48 hours and uh it was we put it on the market 
on a Friday and we got a, you know, the offer we accepted exact same price we asked for, no dickering about it or anything. 48 hours later, and after 20 people had looked at the house in that 48 hours, it was kind of crazy. Never, never thought of it. And we, we spent months waiting for someone to make an offer, a decent offer on a house the last time around. It, I was going to say that is the norm in this market is that I have to, you know, I mean, my realtor is helping me, but, you know, we're watching. And as soon as a house is listed, you have to schedule a visit. You're competing with everyone to try and, you know, go see the house over that weekend or over those couple of days. And I mean, they have an offer within three days of listing the house and then they yeah. accept it and they move on. It just seems to me. Um, you know, of course, I'm young. I never tried to buy a house before, but that seems like a very fast process. It's very fast. I mean, and, and you know, the interesting thing is, if you look at the, the statistics statewide, the listing prices is, is basically the seller is getting 99 over 99 percent of the of the price. So there's very, very, very few houses are selling for under their asking price, which is just, you know, would have been unheard of. Uh, in more, it, it, you know, even a few years ago, and th you know that's how tight the market is. It's just so few houses. How many, how many houses have you had a chance to look at that are in your price range in in, their, in during this period? I've seen at least, um, I'd say about ten, maybe a little more houses. Some of them I decided to, you know, varying degrees of interest in the houses, but I would say all of them got snapped up pretty fast, except for. There are a couple houses that if they had significant uh, work that needed to be done, I've seen those ones have sat on the market longer. Mm. Um, and, you know, I will say there are a couple of them. You could see that uh, the owners had not invested in up the upkeep of the home. So yeah. if, even some, for instance, that have old circuitry and that sort of thing. Uh, so obviously those will sit around for a while because no one's really, not that people aren't interested in projects, but they're selective, I think, in terms of what houses they want to put a lot of work into. Exactly, exactly. Now, it, from from what you where you're sitting, I mean, did you have any trouble getting financing? I mean, is it like you have? I, no, I wanna, I I'm have... not trying to pry. I'm just trying to get an idea of you know how how you know you guys are all ready with this. You have financing and all that. We did. Yes. Yep. No, I talked to uh, St. Mary's Bank, actually. And so we did. Um, we got financing. We've, we had to. And that's another thing in this market. Um, they need to see your pre-qualification letter pre that you're pre-qualified before you go and see the home because there's such demand. They need to weed out the people that have not secured financing. Um, I, I don't know in the past if they would just let people willy nilly go see homes. Um, but even talking to my mortgage specialist, I mean, she's told me that she's seeing how there's such demand for buying houses and that for herself, she's considered selling her home and hooks it because kids are older. She might downsize. But then she told me, well, I could sell my home, but where am I going to go from there? Um, so I just find it interesting that she also is seeing this increased demand for houses and the fact too that with the rising median sales price, sure, she could get a good deal for her house, but where is she gonna go from there? So I think that shows why, um, you know, the state doesn't have a lot of, um, as, as it was noted in Michael Kitch's story, not a lot of new building permits. So um, it's, we're at an interesting standstill where I don't know if we're, there are gonna be new homes that are built or if it's just more waiting to see how the market might evolve down the line. 
Yeah, you know, actually, when you when you looked at numbers, the, the realtors came up with the numbers for last month. I believe the number of uh, number of months of inventory available right now is under two months. It's like one point eight months of inventory is available. It means that if if no other house came in the market and the houses were all sold, they'd be 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 done in one point eight months. There'd be no other houses on the market. And you know, we we had our mid-year economic review webinar uh, last week, and and uh, Russ Tebow, one of the economists on there, has mentioned this before that New Hampshire right now has a shortage of about twenty thousand housing units that we would need to really bring the bring the market up to some kind of reasonable level, affordable units. And, uh, you know, we're, we're nowhere near that, obviously. We're, those things aren't being built. So, you know, this is, I mean, I don't envy you having to, this hunt that you're going to have. It's going to take, a, it's a full-time job almost. It, it takes a long time. My husband, we kind of had the point where he would go out and see houses and he would FaceTime with me so that I didn't have to drive out. Um, but, yeah, it, it's really discouraging, to be honest. Yeah. But. I, and I do want to note, too, that I think that we are competing with uh, the, when you consider Massachusetts, um, former Massachusetts residents are moving to New Hampshire and the money they have from their jobs and the fact that they can then now, especially since the coronavirus, learn they can work remotely. Um, I mean, it probably will be a plus in the end to New Hampshire to bring these people in and buy these homes, they have a lot more money than, say, someone who may be working in New Hampshire, depending on the industry. Um, but it makes it really hard for someone like me, who's a young person who's been living in New Hampshire six years. Uh, I, I do want to note an interesting point on that, that my cousin who works for a tech company in New York City, she and her husband are, have moved, they're temporarily staying with the, the, their parents in New Hampshire, but she's, um, going to buy a house in Maine and they plan to permanently live in Maine and work remotely and I'm sure occasionally travel down to New York City. And hearing that, I think that is going to be a big trend where we're going to see a lot of people like that with the jobs, white collar jobs where they can live up in New England and um, continue their work, whether it's based out of New York or wherever it might be. That's very true. There's, we had a story on the website just the other day about all this uh, real estate activity in, in up in the North Country, the Lakes region, and and also around the Sunapee area, where people are basically were buying second homes with the intention of saying, "Well, this is going to be my primary home. We're going to make sure." You know, this, this it really does hit home this this whole idea of the need to upgrade the broadband in many of these areas because that would even make it more attractive once there's real uh, solid uh, internet service. No broadband service that that would really, really help convince people. Say, you know what? I could live anywhere. I've proven this. I've spent the last five months working remotely. I can do it anywhere I can. So let me find a place where I really like and not have to worry about stuff. It's it's really it's really been something how this how how the the pandemic has really changed people's mindsets about things like that. Oh, yes. And in homes, I mean, I know from writing about broadband a year or so ago, there were homes, especially out kind of around the greater Keene area, um, you know, surrounding rural towns where they did not have good Internet service and it was hard to sell homes. So um, I'm going to take a closer look at that to see how yeah. that has changed in light of all of this. Yes. Or if that's, it has that's changed. That's one of your next assignments. Exactly. You just a story. There you go. <laughs> 
anyway, Lisa, I want to thank you very much for this, uh, and we'll be right back. We'd like to thank Harvard Pilgrim for supporting Down to Business. While so much has changed, Harvard Pilgrim's commitment to their members and the local community has not. Whether you're looking to shake it up, stretch it out, or get centered, Harvard Pilgrim's new live virtual well-being courses have you covered with Zumba, yoga, guided mindfulness, and more. All courses are available to everyone at no cost. Get more details and check out the class schedule at harvardpilgrim.org slash livingwellathome. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit and move from the worm's eye view, as we said, of the real housing market. Maybe, Bob, you could talk a little bit about what's going, what was going on or not going on in the legislature related to housing uh, bills and maybe some other things as well. Um, sure. There, there's actually not hardly nothing went on, basically, when it comes to housing. Uh, it's more notable by what didn't pass than what did, but that kind of goes for the legislature as a whole. Um, the one bill that did pass, uh, I think the number was HB 1247, if I got it right, is uh, was vetoed by the governor. Uh, it would uh, have uh, required that um, landlords, before they evict their tenants, give them a six-month plan to pay off the... Uh, uh, back rent that was uh, that uh, they had during the state of emergency. If you remember, the governor uh, uh, put a moratorium on evictions uh, that ended on uh, July 1st. Uh, so they had about three months when they couldn't get evicted. Some people didn't pay rent. Some people couldn't pay rent. Um, and uh, but they. Uh, the evictions uh, notice was off. There was a, a month and um, the delay in terms of the eviction process, so it'll go a little slower. Um, but uh, this would have uh, basically, uh, it wouldn't have stopped evictions, but it would have prevented uh, people from um, uh, getting evicted um, uh, if they, uh, had a plan if they accepted the landlord's plan and if they adhere to it. Um, but anyway, that's that's uh, those those things are off. There is some funds to try to prevent that. Um, and uh, go ahead. I, I, I just wanted to say that we had mentioned this before we started that uh, when the year began before this whole pandemic and everything, this was going to be one of the big issues that the governor, the governor came up with a bipartisan package of legislation to help address housing affordability. As we you know, talked about with Lisa, it's just really pretty dire out there. And, uh, but nothing happened. I mean, it's, it's just gotten derailed. I mean, could you talk a little bit about that? I mean, what was going on? And we know what happened with, you know, what happened in the house, but if it's such a priority, why wasn't there some way of shepherding it through? It's um, well, the, the it's basically there was not much shepherding on um, the uh, the uh, the sheep, if you will, will uh, or a flock of bills that were wandering all over the place. And um, the Senate were able to uh, basically 
package some of these bills, um, herd them, I guess, <laughs> to continue this analogy, um, and uh, into these omnibus packages that uh, were passed. And um, and so, so there were, for instance, there were over 300 bills passed last year. Um, and this year there were 60, but some of them, one of them contained 40 bills in themselves. They're old bills that they, they uh, stacked together. And in this whole process that was done in a matter of weeks after the, the house uh, fell apart due to um, missing deadlines and needing the, uh, the minority party to agree and a minority party wouldn't, um, and uh, one of the reasons was because of business tax cuts. The, uh, the minority party wanted to get rid of a stopgap measure that would have prevented, uh, would have increased taxes if the uh, revenue went down. And the revenue was because of the crisis was going down and the concern was the taxes would go up. That didn't happen, uh, but, uh, but the Republicans were worried that it would and wanted that to be waived. The Democrats weren't going to go along with that. So nothing happened in the House. So then it was the Senate's uh, you know, job to basically pass what it could in a matter of a few weeks. Uh, and then the House could just agree or disagree. And since they're controlled by Democrats, they agreed on nearly everything that the Senate did. But it was really up to the Senate. Uh, to decide what went through and what didn't go through. If they didn't like something, it didn't go through. Um, and Or if they didn't have time, basically. Uh, or if they thought that uh, some things went through kind of as a, in these packages because they hoped the governor would sign it, uh, even though it has some things in there that he didn't like. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So, you, mentioned, um, you mentioned that thing about the state revenues because they... They did go down, but not at that threshold to to uh, to spar to, to to force the increase in taxes. So basically, the whole uh, I, I maneuver that the Republicans used to 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 try to get that that you know that measure passed to 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 not have the increase in the taxes was kind of futile because it wouldn't have happened anyway. <laughs> So they didn't. Well, so you know, so could they, do we get a do-over now? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's way till next year, basically. Uh, that's that's what what uh, what a lot of the the wish list. For instance, the BIA had a, another big uh, business and industry association. They wanted a safe harbor provision um, in uh, so that if uh, if you know your the um, your um, you get sued uh, because your worker, you call back your worker and he gets the coronavirus. Um, the, they wanted something in is that if you were, you know, up to standard, uh, I guess the guidelines, then you are immune from being sued. Yeah. Um, and uh, that that didn't go anywhere. I don't think it will go anywhere with this kind of House and Senate, but who knows? Maybe it will go with some kind of compromise package. So um, it's a similar. There's a similar proposal uh, that's being waved around in Washington as well. So uh, yeah. you, know, it's, you know, and that's going to be part of some kind of deal, perhaps in August when they supposedly going to reach one in D.C. 
So um, there's a lot of other things that didn't get passed. Well, the family medical medical leave did get passed, but it was vetoed. Um, and that that was kind of interesting because the uh, the um, this there there was basically instituted family and medical leave for the coronavirus as a state of emergency. Uh, it was mandated uh, both on the federal and state level. Um, so people, uh, unemployment insurance covered it, uh, and the uh, and employers had to cover it too, uh, at least those with less than 500 employees. Um, to make that more universal, there was a bill to, to do that, um, and it was vetoed. There's another bill coming down the road that uh, is also uh, likely to be vetoed that would uh, basically institute that for uh, um, uh, for just the coronavirus, uh, the extended at least, um, and um, but uh, the governor said that that would uh, he would almost certainly veto that bill, and um, the votes just aren't there to overcome those. Hmm. One one bill that's really interesting is this prescription uh, drug bill because it has a couple of provisions that Sununu himself testified for. Um, and that includes the uh, Canadian uh, importing from uh, drugs from Canada. And that bill is on its way to the governor. Now, it also includes stuff that he didn't ask for. Uh, and um, so he's going to have to make a decision. Um, uh, the big, big provisions there that might actually be more important than the Canada uh, importation bill is the um, is a uh, I'd call them bills because they were once bills, but now they're provisions of a larger package. Um, but uh, is a bill uh, that would uh, require insurance to uh, cover epipens for like severe allergic uh, reactions, and then one that would limit uh, insulin costs to a hundred dollars a month, and you can't even go against your deductible. Um, and businesses are generally concerned about um, about anything that any uh, mandates that might increase insurance costs um, so we'll see uh, if he's going to swallow that poison pill as my pun filled mind so um, <laughs> So anyway, so that's that's coming. That's going to be pretty soon. We'll see what he does with that. Um, so and then there's this package one, two, three, four, uh, which I call one, two, three, forty because there's forty bills in it, and um, includes a big energy bill having to do with energy storage. Now the governor signed a standalone bill on energy storage that doesn't do very much, but it just tells the PUC to um, um, to PUC to basically move on energy storage and to come up with some idea about it. Um, the, the, the more comprehensive bill is one, two, three, four. So he might sign the, the easy bill, you know, so then he can veto the more comprehensive bill. But there's so many bills in that, who knows where he's going to come down on. Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of... I mean, the governor set a record for vetoes last year, and he's he started getting going pretty well this session. But I don't think it's 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 
it's not, it's not numerically possible to veto as many bills this year. It seems like it, although maybe he can try. But some of those, those omnibus bills has so many things in it. To call them a Christmas tree is probably not fair because it's, if it was a Christmas tree, it would have tipped over by now, some of those bills. <laughs> anyway, Bob, thanks very much for that update. And uh, we'll probably be re coming back about this when, when the governor actually does sign or veto some of these bills in the future. But anyway, uh, thanks very much to Bob Sanders and Lisa Ryla and our producer, Ernesto Burden and publisher. And this is Jeff Feingold saying be well, everybody.